Jesus came to hopefully like, Ooh, baby, you know what that's worth. Heaven is a place on earth, right? <laughs> like, like this did is not, our, did not see that coming. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's this like great is it, is ideal. It's the eighties influence run it off on you. I mean, what's happening listen. right now? It's the greatest decade, man. What's it though? What's it? No, did you see my hair then? Good God. <laughs> But like the the reality is I think of eighties as a crossroad decade. Like 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 is this who we wanna be or not? I, th- I think we mostly chose not. We chose not. We I really think we mostly did. chose we not. Went, we went a we different put, direction. We put it was the experimental back on decade. the inside of yeah. our clothing. It, it was the experimental decade. of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life, faith, over a craft-brewed pint of fine wine or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverends Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holder, and a special guest address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. Today we welcome the Reverend Gray Maggiano. Gray is the rector of Memorial Episcopal Church in Baltimore, Maryland. He has a life, he has made a lifetime of listening to Jesus' claim on his life. You can tell Gray wrote this and I didn't read it ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Which means he really has no idea of what he's doing. Join the club, Gray. Currently he's working on helping his church and the Diocese of Maryland engage in a process of atonement, reconciliation, and reparations around the legacy of slavery in Baltimore. Welcome, Gray. Thanks, great to be with you all. As you can Glad tell, it's going to be a really you. light show. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, just, just going to take care of all that stuff up front, right? Yeah. Uh, so, those of you listening, you can show some love for us by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Uh, different levels of support start at $2 a month, and there is even a level for some of y'all with the deep pockets. If you want to bring us to do a live recording in your town, we will do that too. I'm so psyched if somebody wants to do that. I'm so Oh, you're, you're not kidding. <laughs> we Visit, might even get Brian to show up. <laughs> we might. Hey, let's, let's not push keep, keep your expectations low. Love you, Brian. Uh, so you can dip your toe in at the pint or the ground level, shunt glass level, whatever you want to do. And um, we need to also get back and doing some live, ex- some extended interviews with special guests. I will yes. be back on that soon. So visit patreon.com slash PT live to get started. Big thank you to our current patrons. And as always, you can join our conversation or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, all the socials using the hashtag PT live. And in our continuing transition post Brian, who as you should have heard by now is running for Congress. Go Brian. Um, we will be, we will be cranking up the uh, social media experience a little bit as we go on. So thank you for your patience as we transition out of this, into this, whatever. Into the, and out of it, maybe. <laughs> Today we discuss reparations, church history, and social sin. Again, all the light topics around your dining room table. So what are we drinking today? Ogan, what are you drinking? I was going to let our guests go first. Well, then, Don't okay. my mother raise me. What do you got, Gray? I'm going to let the guests go first. So this is a Steady Eddie IPA. It's a union. It's from a Union Craft Brew in here in Baltimore. It's a seasonal IPA, and it's uh, baseball themed. It's so Eddie Murray is a logo on there, uh, and it's a, a nice kind of more or less a light light summer IPA. Uh, and it's it's getting into fall, but this was uh, the last one of these in my in my fridge, and uh, the uh, looking forward to uh, enjoying it. So. Nice. Nicely done. Um, well, fall is fall is rolling into New England. I'm up in Boston, and uh, leaves are starting to change a little bit. So you know what that time? It's pumpkin season. Yay, pumpkin <laughs> beer. See, so I wait till October, but that's tomorrow, so go right the, ahead. The, yeah, we're there. Uh, Imperial Pumpkin Porter from Epic Bruin. And this is a pint, and there's nothing better than going into your corner liquor store, seeing this in the cooler for like 12 bucks, 
and then he goes ringing up, and it's four ninety five. It's a it's a fall miracle. So um, even though Gray's about ten miles south of me, I'm we're clearly experiencing different days if you're in summer summer beer weather. Because <laughs> um, so I have a Union Brewing Company, Foxy IPA. Um, it's one of my favorites. Again, I wait till pumpkin until October, but I'm ready for my fall beers and. Derek drank one of my other favorites on the show last week, so I thought I'd go with Foxy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are I what you drink. I feel like Mike Myers when I do that. You are what you drink. Foxy. <laughs> and, I'm a, and, I'm, and I'm a rotund pumpkin. <laughs> Actually, hey, listen, man. Maybe we should switch those a little yeah. bit. You know what? Were, you know what? were I a Major League Baseball player, that would be uh, <laughs> there pretty, you go. pretty excellent. I'm, I am proud to say since since June, since the end of June, I have shed twenty pounds. I was going to say wow. you you clearly lost some weight, I've, and I've, if that could shed through the internets, I think that would be yes. wonderful. <laughs> uh, I actually I actually went out and bought bought me some bought me some new skinny jeans today. Oh, good for you! I'm feeling so proud of me, and I'm going to ruin all that by drinking a pint today and and it's eggnog season coming up oh so, eggnog's coming so that 15 of them pounds gonna be back on before the end of the year well cheers speaking of which speaking of which isn't that why we lose weight in the summer so we can gain it all back in the winter exactly or is zero, that just me no? no okay zero net gain net net zero gain zero sum game was the same whatever all right so today we ask if you could live in any period of history when would it be and why it would be the future because I know what happened in the past. The present's not really that great. So only thing left is the future. No, I'm kidding. Present's awesome. Love my life. I don't want to be anywhere else than where I am right now. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. There you go. <laughs> just the present, huh? You're so unity of you. Just, just, just the, the present. present. I just want to live in the what? present. It's Never. all we got, man. Listen, listen. My, I want to live took- in Star Wars world in a galaxy far, far away. Well, I mean, that's kind of futuristic, sci-fi. You know what? We were watching it the other day, and I said that. And Derek was like, no, it's a long time ago in a galaxy. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, a long time. It's clearly like a different dimension of a long time ago. Exactly. I showed a Star Wars clip in my talk on Sunday, and good old old YouTube automatically just froze that live stream, man. (laughs) That happens all the time in worship for us. I'm like, come on. Gray, where would you, where would you, uh, what period of history would you live in and why? You know, I mean, it's a little embarrassing, but I'm a pretty big fan of 80s hair bands. Mm. So if I could no. just kind of cycle back a few years Be and your live age, in the 80s. But... Uh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I'm, I'm trying, I'm really trying not to judge you right now. <laughs> you know, ju- judgment is warranted. <laughs> of all the decades, man, the eighties, oh, that was a, that was an interesting time. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this and I was like, I kept trying to find, you know, like, okay, when was a non-problematic point in history? And I was like, okay, I guess I want to be with Adam and Eve in the garden. <laughs> like, I just was like, what? Uh, hey, that was problematic. Hey, yeah, I mean, until, 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 right? Like, gotcha. uh, until they get kicked out. I want to be there pre, pre-kick out. Um, I mean, it's a little hilarious that none of us said Jesus time, considering our no. respective professions, but, Mm-mm. you know. You mean at the time of Roman occupation where crucifixions were like say, a daily right? thing? Yeah, no, I don't want that. No, no. Being where, like, black, being black on top of that? No, no. It's kind of literal. Like, come and take up your cross. Oh, that's possible. No, thank you. But, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Let's be clear, I, though, Shannon, if you lived in the Garden of Eden, you know you'd have been the first person to eat the fruit of the tree. You, well, you know oh. that Adam's first wife, Lilith, was a redhead. Well, so maybe I was. I th- there you go. <laughs> I thought she was brunette. She was redhead. Isn't that the story? Isn't that why redheads are of the devil and all that stuff? I don't know. So was and, Judas, and, Judas was a redhead and blah, 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 blah. There's, in every a whole, depiction, there's books on this. Not that anybody ever knows, but in every depiction I've seen, she's, she's dark-haired. Like Lilith dark, or dark-haired. Eve? Lilith. Oh. But, no, I'm pretty sure Lilith was redheaded. No one knows. Anyway. <laughs> also, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why are we talking about this? Okay. Well, I, I think it's an interesting question, but like I do love to read about, I love history. My father loved history and I love reading about history, but there's not, no, like there's not really a time that I 
go like look at in history and like, oh, I wish I was no like I mean, and clearly, if you do, you want to be a rich person during like oh clearly <laughs> like there's no like oh I would love to be a peasant in the 16th century like well I'm not gonna lie. Being rich now kind of has well, advantages too. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. when, in, when in time has being rich not been not, advantageous for you? That's, that's true. sort of always the yeah. same. All right. Well, that's speaking same. a little bit about history, but going to scripture. So um, what, what's your favorite children's Bible story that you thought was innocent, but ended up wasn't? Do you have a favorite one that like when you found out, you're like, oh, <gasps> yeah. Pretty much everything about King David. Oh. Mm. Yeah, but he does dance naked, yeah. and that's pretty fun. You know, there's well, there's that. Um, <laughs> but you know, growing up, it was always this. You know, the the David and Goliath story was mm. was mm-hmm. was the thing about you know you're never too young, and it's about God's strength that will allow you to overcome your obstacles, sort of deal. And David was healed of this conquering hero <laughs> and the greatest king of Israel, bar none. And then you find out the other side of David. And then you also hear about the wonderful model of friendship that he had with Jonathan. And then you find out <laughs> it might have been a little bit more than just friendship. And then, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. So David well, was, yeah, For me, character. the David and Goliath story, right? Like understanding that the war that was happening was a, was a racial war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting into all that history. There's, and, there's that too. You know. That kind of thing. Gray, do you have one that comes to mind? I mean, for me, the, the story that's always like bothered me in the kids' retelling has always been the Jesus birth story. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many kids' books do I have from like the people have given us for our kids that are like, and Joseph and Mary were married and everything was fine, and then they went to Bethlehem, <laughs> stayed with their family, and had a baby. And like, that's that's not what it says. Right. Uh, they actually have that just, in children's books. I did not know that. Oh yeah. Wow. It's very rare to find a kid's book that is like, that, that talks about them being engaged or not married or like talks about the reality of the story. And that she was um, like really young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. So wait, wait, wait. In those stories, do they not mention that she is a virgin? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's immaterial because they're already married. So it's like. Right. That's my, that's child. my point. Yeah. That's, that's my, but that's the whole miracle of the story that she was supposedly a virgin. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, but fascinating. That, but I just got, I bought a kid's book, like probably six months ago for a three-year-old and it was about Paul. And there's not a lot of kid's books about Paul. There really aren't. <laughs> he's Paul, right? Um, but it was cute. And Paul was like this nice little, I think he's an otter or a beaver or something. And yeah. he has all his little animal friends and Lydia's a giraffe and, you know, all his different friends or different Lydia animals. the tattooed lady? Yeah. Oh um, that's but awesome. then... There's a there's a page about his friend Philemon um, or Philemon. I don't know if there's a if there's a vote on pub theology podcast about how you're supposed to pronounce his name. I say Philemon. What do you uh, say? Logan? I, I always go Philemon. Do you? I, I, do. I go Philemon. Yeah. Uh, so there's a page about his friend Philemon who has a friend named Onesimus, and Paul is sad because their friend his friends don't get along anymore. Um, and I was like, that is not the story at all. <laughs> and and like, I'm, I'm totally okay if you say, hey, I don't want to talk to like, you know, two, three, four-year-olds about slavery. That's fine. But don't like lie and make them think the story is about something else. So, so, so real briefly, just in case there's someone listening who is not aware of this like deep dive story. <laughs> what, what's, 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 the elevator, what's the elevator pitch of yeah. this story? So the, the shortest book in the Bible is the Paul's letter to Philemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philemon is a, is a wealthy follower of Paul who uh, ha- presumably has a number of slaves. Uh, Onesimus is, is one of these slaves who Paul is asking Philemon to free uh, so that they can all be in a relationship as, as brothers in Christ. Um, and it's, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful letter and has been used on, curiously on both sides of the slavery debate. Uh, both for slavery and against slavery, and that's a, that's a longer conversation. That's um, the one we're having today. <laughs> but but the but it, it's you you know no one it, I've never seen in any interpretation anything other than this is uh, you know a relationship between master and slave or master and servant, and it was bizarre to me to see it in this kid's book as friends. 
as friends friends yeah, friends. friends who yes. aren't getting along friends yeah. who are having a dispute. yeah yeah there's a big difference between friends and a well, like thomas master. jefferson and sally hemmings were friends right you know <laughs> <laughs> they were special friends they were special, special friends. friends they were friends yes. with benefits no. yeah, there you go <laughs> there you go there you go. So um, I go to the Battle of Jericho, right? Mm. And Rahab. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, uh, similar lines, right? Like we sing songs about the walls tumbling down and blah, blah, Just blah. And how, Jericho. Exactly. Jericho. <laughs> like, and Rahab's this madam. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. She's, she's, she's a madam of this house. And like, I mean, A, like, what choice does she have in this matter, right? Like, Uh she's like, we're all dead anyway. You've had us surrounded for a long time. It's only a matter of time. This is my chance to say, save my family. You know, she's in no, absolutely no. And then slaughter of thousands of people. Yeah. And we sing little nursery rhyme songs about it. Yeah, yeah. Every horrifying. every, (laughs) Every battle in the Old Testament that's being portrayed as, you know, God victorious and people were showing God is like, like basically genocide. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah. it's crazy. Uh-huh. My, and what I forget which battle it was that apparently the sun was set in and who is it? Was it Joshua or, or, or uh, somebody they held uh-huh. up? It was, it maybe it was Moses. That had to be Joshua, but somebody's hands were getting tired because oh. as, as long as he held his yeah. hands they, up, they the sun, the, 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 the the, the sun the stayed up. Yeah, the, the sun stayed up in the sky so they yeah. could go slaughter some more people. Right. But his arms were getting tired, so they had to hold his arms up so they could have mm-hmm. more light so they can go kill some more people. I was like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, this, that's insane. <laughs> that's insane. Oh my goodness. These yeah. There's there's all kinds, but you know. Good times. Prince I, of peace. Hashtag Prince of peace. I mean, we, you know, there's so many, right? I mean, I, I, I did a sermon series once on uh, problematic children's stories, right? And there really, there really aren't great children's stories. Like anything that is in a children's Bible, especially a quick one, like for little babies, like, like Noah's Ark, right? We have nursery rooms, like babies mm-hmm. filled with Noah's Ark themes because animals are cute. Let's be yeah. honest. Animals are adorable. They must have been cute two by two walking on the boat Walk on the yeah. boat and then when yeah. it all dries up there's like mass carnage <laughs> all over the earth like mm, delicious that's wonderful exactly no one <laughs> talks about the cadavers <laughs> exactly. like, but that's the best story to radicalize kids with because oh, like they all know it and love it and then when yeah. you like turn it into an environmental like take care of creation story it's just yeah. And this, it is it a is. thing, man. It is, it is. All right, so let's dive in, shall we? So, we shall. Um, the reason why we're talking about this today, Gray, do you want to give a little bit of background on, you know, your what's going on at Mor- Memorial Episcopal in Baltimore? Sure, yeah. Um, so Memorial Episcopal Church is a, a fairly typical Episcopal Church in the United States right now. We have about 100 people on Sunday mornings. And which means we're kind of right in the middle of the pack in terms of congregation size. We've been around since 1860. Um, And like most Episcopal churches, we're on the progressive end of things and we consider ourselves sort of people who really care about social justice and uh, wanna make the world a better place. Uh, But we started asking questions, you know, a a few years ago about, well, well, why if we are so committed to justice and, you know, everyone being welcome at the table, and we're in this city that's 70% African-American is our city, is our church, 95% white. That uh, there had to be more to this story than just, well, the music is bad. Uh, so, <laughs> Which is, is a factor, let's not lie. Is a factor, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we started to do some history and, and, and looking back in the history of the church and discovered that from 1860 until 1969, um, the church was, inten- was segregated, um, intentionally segregated. And of the first nine rectors of the church, eight served in uh, or supported the Confederacy. Um, and the, the, the rectors, you know, were, were, and rectors and lay leadership were very involved in efforts to keep Baltimore segregated. Um, I remarked at an event a couple of weeks ago that the, you know, the, the practice of redlining uh, of housing segregation in the U.S. where 
you wouldn't lend to people in certain areas began in our parish hall. Uh, it was a lawyer from uh, on our vestry who was an Episcopalian who invented the idea of, of segregating uh, streets and segregating neighborhoods by race and wrote the, the original laws that went into place in Baltimore City. Uh, the, the rector of the church, who was rector for about 40 years, was, was an avid segregationist. He fought for the Confederacy, came to Baltimore uh, in the 1880s, and uh, lobbied from everything from school segregation to housing segregation to taking away the right to vote from Black people in the city. I mean, just a really, in, from our lens anyway, a terrible guy. Uh, and then and so they hired it, you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, not I then. Like it wasn't this. one to the other. But you well, know. I, I joke about this that you know, the, the the reflex response at Memorial to solving their problems has been to hire a white guy from Virginia, um, and <laughs> and so they they did the same thing with me, even though going in a very different direction. Um, so we've I was going to say, did, did they not realize Virginia also south of the Mason-Dixon line? Like, what did they, what, 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 what did they think? Um, this, you know, the, the larger conversation of how the Episcopal Church uh, is is doing in terms of diversity and inclusion is, is a, would be an interesting interesting topic. Uh, but you know, if you're trying to get more diverse, hiring a white guy from Virginia is not always the, the best path to take. Um, but but so we've discovered that you know we have this strong history of, of of supporting the legacy of slavery, but then have more recently discovered that our our current deacon, whose uh, name is Reverend Natalie Conway, and she's an African American woman, uh, her family was actually enslaved by the founding family of the church, uh, the founding rector of the church, uh, and in a on a plantation just north of Baltimore City today. And one of our current members, uh, Steve Howard, is a, is a descendant of the founding rector's family. Uh, so all of a sudden, these sort of ideas that we've been talking about broadly became very present and very uh, centered, and we couldn't we couldn't ignore them. And this was uh, not previously known, right? This was no, yeah, this was all. This was you just a total asked shock. this general question, right? Yeah. Why, why in this you know predominantly black city are we a predominantly white church? Mm -hmm. And like, this was the discovery. This, this was the discovery. So it kind of an innocent question became quote unquote, a dangerous question, right? Like, yes. Yeah. 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 Because we have plaques in the back of the church that honor the founding rector. Uh, the church is actually memorial to the founding rector of the church. That's why it's called Memorial Episcopal Church. Uh, and the, the, uh, the other priest I talked about who was here for 40 years and was sort of the leader of a lot of these segregation efforts in the city um, that we have a big, uh, the main painting in our sanctuary is a big triptych of the Transfiguration as a memorial to him. Uh, wow. So all of this has really uh, caused us to have to reconsider a lot about our own identity uh, as a parish and as individuals. Uh, and it also, you know, for, for folks, you know, Steve isn't the only person who's a descendant of, of slave owners. Uh, and Natalie's the only person who's a descendant of enslaved people. So it's an opportunity for all of us, I think, to bring that to the table and figure out how do we practice reconciliation in our own lives? How do we find our own sense of atonement and peace with this? Um, and, and also, how do, we, how do we create a community that, that allows for that to happen on a broader scale? Absolutely. Which, which thank you, Gray. Like, it brings us to a question, obviously, um, I think, Anybody who listens to our podcast would know our slant on this, but mm -hmm. this goes out to a, these questions go out to a broader audience. <laughs> but, so, is there a case to be made for churches giving reparations to African American communities in America? I, I think definitely there is a there is a case, and I think it's different than the case being made in the public square today. I think um, you know most churches, if they do some history, especially you know any church with any kind of history can can find discrete communities, discrete people, and discrete actions where they have caused harm uh, to black people in this country. And so what what do what do rep, what does reparations mean for you? Mm -hmm. Because that's also part of the discussion. Are we talking about um, in terms of money? Are we talking in terms of you know dismantling certain uh, sy systemic injustices? Where, where, when you say you can make the case for reparations, what does that word mean for you? So I think, you know, for, for me, just looking at the, at the biblical mandate here, 
uh, both, you know, in the Old Testament, Isaiah talks about being repairs of the breach, uh, restoring trust between those of power and those, those in power and those out of power, those who've been harmed and those who did the harming. Uh, and, and, and Jesus in, in, in his multiple messages about how, you know, how to gain entrance to the kingdom of heaven is always talking about selling all your possessions and, and giving them to the poor. Uh, that, that there is both a, a relational and a, um, and a, and a, and a financial aspect to this. I mean, just in the, in the sort of jokes we were making in the beginning about what generation you'd like to be in, the reality is it was always better to be rich, no matter what the time period was, that um, there, there is a benefit to wealth and wealth that has been accrued on the backs of enslaved people or on a legacy of trying to continue slavery in some way or another uh, is, has to be shed if we want to gain entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Um, but I think for churches, you know, it's not enough just to kind of give money away. Uh, you know, our, our church has a small endowment. It would, it would cause relatively little impact to give away, um, you know, most, if, if not all of that endowment. Uh, other churches have more money and they could make a slightly bigger impact. But the real, the real difference I think for churches is the need to restore relationship. Uh, what one of the, the clear damages that has been caused, you know, with respect to the legacy of slavery, and when I say legacy of slavery, I mean all the ways we've tried to continue the, the, the reality of slavery after the civil war, whether it was Jim Crow or segregation or the prison industrial complex and, uh, redlining and everything else that, um, you know, I can look, you know, a block from my house is, is Utah place. And it's this grand, beautiful drive that runs up the center of Baltimore. And on one side is mostly wealthy, whiter neighborhoods. On the other side is mostly poor black neighborhoods. Um, yeah. Anything you can do to repair and restore relationship across that divide is good in the eyes of God and the eyes of Jesus. And, and I think is part of that process of, of reparations. So I think there's a financial aspect to it, but it is, is in, in many ways, I think for Christians, much more about restoring relationship. Um, and as we know from Paul's letters and everything else, that once you're in relationship, you stop thinking about money and, and, and you, just, you just do it. Not because you feel like you have to give the money to the other person, but because they're your friend and you care about them and you want their community to be as good as your so you share yeah, people, and in I, relation, people in relationship, not thinking about money. I want your friends. <laughs> what, you talking, what are you talking about? What are you talking I, about, Willis? Come on. I think that I, I, I mean, again, I, in these conversations, it may be less person to person relationship, mm -hmm. right. And more community to community relationship. Um, you know, Gray, I don't know how long the Episcopal church has been in the United States. Um, Presbyterian Since the church. beginning. Right. Like we've, yeah. you know, it's been, we celebrated several years back. I can't remember how many we celebrated 300 years in, in the United States, you know, um, mm -hmm. unity 100. Unit, I was going to say, Ogan, <laughs> <Ogan's, Going strong. laughs> um, and Ogan, how, how long, how old is your church? Itself? My, my church itself, 20, we just celebrated 25 years. 25 we, years we're, yeah. we're like babes. Really? Right. Yeah. Right. And we're, we're about to hit 125, right? Like our yeah. churches kind of thing. And, and so there's, there's a, there's some elements to this. Um, and of course there were um, denominations that were started post-slavery for that very reason, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we are anti the institutions that promote this and therefore we are going to find a new way. Um, our church history split over slavery and then um, really like racism issues several times. And yeah. then again, over women's ordination, right? Like there's been so many splits because of, of issues like this. So it's, it's there. I, I actually want to jump to the next quote. Cause I think that when we're talking about reparations um, again, there's the literal monetary sense um, but what, you know, and, and we'll post, we'll post on the Facebook page, um, memorial statement that they posted outside their door, um, which is an apology in a lot of ways, right? Like to the families mm -hmm. that were impacted. I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, it is a acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Um, I, I don't like the word apology just because it suggests that one, it's been accepted, uh, which, you know, we haven't had conversations with individuals, but 
I, I don't want to presume that we are suddenly absolved of all our responsibility. Sure. And, and apology also suggests that it's like a finite act, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is one of the I wouldn't say issues, but one of the concerns I have with doing a monetary reparation, like uh-huh. you know. So it's now like, we're oh, absolved, we, right? We, we're we, done. We we gave you the money. It's over. We're we're yeah. we're good. Kind of yeah. like a kind of like a oh, we elected a black president. We're post racial, mm. right? So so I'm glad you mentioned what you and said what you did about about relationship building, about actually repairing, not just paying off. In in the sense of that, I that's why I almost feel it would be better not to do a monetary reparations because we do that and nothing if nothing systemically changes. You know, and then there's still conversations. We like, well, what else do you want us to do? We gave you the money, yeah, right. So, so that sets up a dangerous precedent for 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 asking for a pass when the real repair is looking at the systems, like you mentioned, that are still in place, that that basically have have, have painted a new face on slavery uh-huh. and painted a new face on 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 keeping blacks and minorities down. That needs to be addressed. So this is from um, Jamar's Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, The Truth About the American Church's Complicity in Racism. Um, Here's the quote. Christian complicity with racism in the 21st century looks different than complicity with racism in the past. It looks like Christians responding to Black Lives Matter with the phrase, all lives matter. It looks like Christians consistently supporting a president whose racism has been on display for decades. It looks like Christians telling black people and their allies that their attempts to bring up racial concerns are divisive. It looks like concerns on race that focus on individual relationships and are unwilling to discuss systematic solutions. Perhaps Christian complicity in racism has not changed after all, Although the characters and the specifics are new, many of the same rationalizations for racism remain. So Gray actually pointed me towards this book and I found that quote because one of the things that I thought of through this discussion um, is, you know, and and Gray, you mentioned this, right? You took this very kind of broad of church, of course, the church has been complicit in racism. You know, especially these domina- denominations that are mostly white. You know, we, we, there's a clear history there. To a very personal, like people sitting in the pews, very personal, mm-hmm. and it, not that that's lucky in any way, right? But it it brings it home in a way that not all churches are able to have the conversation where it gets, and of course it being personal brings up other issues as well. But See, I guess I disagree. Uh, I think there's, there's a really pernicious thing that happens, especially when we talk about race, and it's basically white amnesia. Uh, you know, when I was in, I, I used to serve in Miami, and I was at the Cathedral of Miami, and there was a black Episcopal church about five blocks away, literally on the other side of the railroad tracks called St. Agnes. Um, and the history of the two churches is that, uh, you know, the memorial, the, the, the cathedral was founded first, and then St. Magnus was founded a year later because they wouldn't let black Bahamians who were building the railroads come to the white church. Um, now, and if you talk to anybody in the surrounding communities or anybody in the, in, in the, in the, the now cathedral community, no one knew that story. Um, you know, not, not, the, not the dean, not the clergy, not the bishop, no one knew the story, but every person in that black church knew the story. Um, and the same thing happens here in Baltimore. You know, we have sort of white amnesia in white neighborhoods about racism. And we're like, oh, well, you know, that happened a long time ago, but like no one really remembers and it's not really a factor anymore. But you walk into a black church or a black community center and they all know the story. Uh, and some of that has to do with, you know, who's moved in and out of the neighborhoods and who's moved in and out of communities and, and stayed. Um, but also like, you know, you tend to have a pretty short memory when you're the oppressor. Uh, right. Right. And, and so, you know, I think any church could, could develop those connections and make those, make those connections if they're willing to ask the question. The problem is so they're not willing what, to ask the questions. And, and, often, and often when one does raise a question, the response is, it does no good to look back. Mm-hmm. 
you know, what matters is what we do now, which on some level is true, but at the same point in time, it's if we don't if we don't get a firm grasp on the history of how we got here, then it's 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 you know, there's 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 the opening for it to repeat itself. There's the there's the sense of then we haven't really addressed the underlying issue. Um, and it's a it's a very subtle deny form of denial that 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 can be dangerous. Yeah, and I, I guess um I was I was already responding to a voice that I heard from my my own congregation, right? Which not a specific person, just a voice in my head that's like, well, it wasn't me or it wasn't my, like my family moved here or my, you know, like right. whatever, right? Like I'm, It's not I'm, my responsibility. So therefore, right. right. Whereas I, one of the things that drew me kind of to this quote was, you know, as we're talking about the reparations community to community, one of the things that looks like is white churches specifically or white synagogues there there um, there's other articles that are very clear that white synagogues have the same issues that white churches do um that that it is um something that we can change our through conversation but through advocacy right we we can help change the system and that is part of are standing up and and although maybe not used in a reparations way, um, can be part of that community to community process, right? Yeah. Can certainly go a long way, let me put it that way, um, in helping. I mean, have you, so I, nobody has ever, of course, people don't talk to me about this because they, know better they're, they're, they're scared of you shannon they're well, scared of you this is why they, we actually have a sunday school that's like on topical like discussions uh -huh. and i actually don't go to it for this very reason because you know if they want to have a discussion on what all lives matter means i think that they need to have a discussion on that rather than me coming in exploding my head exploding going what is wrong with you people? Don't you understand how terrible this is and how hurtful this is? And like, they, like, I trust my congregation to say, like, there's going to be somebody in the room that's going to say that, but you need, uh -huh. you need to not have your pastor's it's, head exploded. Is there though? No. <laughs> I think that's because, because if you're not the one that's going to be there saying that, like, uh, I don't know your congregation, so you may be a hundred percent correct about that. I, I think but, I'm, I may be uh, being a little optimistic. But if not, <laughs> uh, you know, what's the phrase? If not you, who? Yeah. <laughs> that's. I, I think that's. I think that's why we as ministers are there. I remember when. I remember when I spoke about as uncomfortable as it was for me up in New England in a congregation that's like ninety nine percent white. Me talking about Black Lives Matter, me talking about white privilege, me talking about, uh, you know, white middle class um, complacency and, and, and using Martin Luther King's letters from Birmingham jail as, as the basis for that. People getting very uncomfortable about it. Some people going, uh, oh, I never realized. Yes, you got a point. What can I do? Some people leaving my congregation because I'm getting all political and trying to score cheap progressive liberal points like like the whole gamut. It's out there. Granted, all of this happened because congregants were asking me to speak about it. Because <laughs> right, usually, because exactly. because I'm like, you know, little old black me in this white church. I, I'm, you know, I'm keep my distance from that. But, but folks are asking questions. So, so here I am answering. So it's it's. I I think that is our role to to right. to, to guide the conversation. Um, you know, what, what is that old maxim? We're here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So. Well, and you're absolutely yeah, right, yeah. right? Because it's a phrase that it, it's a phrase that seems innocent enough on on mm -hmm. the surface, right? Black lives matter. Well, right. like, well, all lives matter. Like, well, of course, and and especially as Christians, right? How many times do all of us stand up in a pulpit and proclaim that God loves, you know, all, mm -hmm. all, and all means all, right? Like, we use this all to especially those of us that are LBGTQ friendly, right? Like all means all and all are welcome. And, and we use that in a very progressive space. And 
And in some ways it feels like it got hijacked because I was like, wow. So, uh, so quick sidebar, cause you know, I love to say that <laughs> we're talking with us in the pre-show quick sidebar. So, sidebar. uh, me, me, me and Unity the other day, I said the exact opposite because I was trying to drive home the point. Unity's understanding is, is God not a being who loves, who does the verbs, but God is the presence of love. We are, we are God manifest in love. So mm-hmm. I said, and, and, you know, we say we get this in Unity. So how does it feel when I say the following? God does not care about you. I'm still getting calls about that. I'm still getting <laughs> meetings about that. <laughs> And even though I said, even though I followed it up, you know, the following week by saying what I, so let's be clear, we still do feel God as love, as comfort, as support through each other. This is how it manifests. But let's not, you know, in in my frame, let's not think there is some old man up in the sky, or even if you don't want to call me old man in the sky, some like, you know, nascent nascent beingness out there who's actually loving you know it is the presence of love so so yeah so still getting calls with that one (laughs) well and i i i just i i think um this often goes like uh, actually i'll just jump down right i'll uh, because i'd love to talk about this with in conjunction with galatians 3 right Mm -hmm. there is no longer jew nor greek there is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male nor female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Um, and I'll stop there because the rest of it is interesting in another discussion. But we use that sometimes to be like, see, all lives matter. Like, and I'm, there's, there's kind of this, okay, the eyes of God are very different than the eyes of the world, right? And mm-hmm. And the eyes of the world are separate. You know, you hear this all the time, right? Like I don't, from white people, right? I don't, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. And it's, and in the eighties, I think that was a, well, going back to your favorite time, right? Gray, you want to go back? Yeah. To that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that there, there was a post civil rights movement that that was a term of, you know, I don't care what color you are, you are welcome yeah. here. It right? was it was all lives matter. It was, it was, yeah. it was a way of saying, you're important, but I'm important too, and uh-huh. blah, 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 blah. And to wipe that away to say, like, I don't see color is a way of saying, I don't see your pain, and I don't see how I'm privileged. Uh-huh. And that that's hurtful. Um, you know, it's the conversation I had to have with some people to say, like, you're so that are that are trump supporting in my family or in my congregation to say you're supporting a president that is actively trying to hurt my family like that is actively trying to to say that some are better than others to actively trying to say that men are better than women like there's so much going on but particularly like somebody even said to me who's very progressive like well i I don't know whether he's racist but he's going and i'm like whoa well you know when you're when you're when you're when you're part of the better side of that equation then you can't see it (laughs) like it (laughs) you know that's 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 easy conversation but you know we talk about this systemically and individually where the individual comes into play in a negative like in a hard way is like well, I'm not racist. See, I have this black friend, you know, or I dated this black girl or I did, you know, whatever. Right. Like that so does not make you not racist. Right. I'm not racist. I have white friends. I'm talking to two of them right now. (laughs) Um, So here's, here's the issue with me and Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the issue with me and Paul is that like for every, for everything that Paul says, you can find a thing that Paul says the opposite, which is like, you know, I'm like, come on, Paul, pick a side. Like, you know, here he is, here he is. And I know he's being metaphorical, but, but you know, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female. We're all one. We're all equal. And then in how many other places he's saying slaves obey your masters and then masters be good to your slaves. And like women shut up in church, you know, women shut up in church, even yeah. though, you know, supposedly he, he bolstered women and had women who worked in his ministry or whatever. It's like, I got, I got ish. So this is where the second part, Paul. here's the second part, right? So right. verse 
28 is there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male or female if you are one in Christ Jesus. And then 29 is, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise, which has actually been used against any reparation, right? Like against a need to atone. Um, because we're all heirs in God. Exactly. And the, the argument that we come back to over and over again is, yes, like, right, like, Jesus came to, hopefully, like, ooh, baby, you know what that's worth. Heaven is a place on earth, right? <laughs> like, like, this did is not, our... Did not see that coming. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Like there's this like great is he, is ideal. It's the that, 80s influence run it off on you. I mean, What's happening listen. right now? It's the greatest decade, man. What's it though? Was it? No, did you see my hair then? Good God. <laughs> but like the the reality is I think of eighties as a crossroad decade. Like 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 is this who we want to be or not? <laughs> I, th- I think we mostly chose not. We chose not. We I really think we did. mostly we chose not. Went, we went a we different put, direction. We put it was the experimental back decade. on the inside of yeah. our clothing. It, it was the experimental decade. Yeah. But go. nonetheless, right? Like we, we like to think, right, there is, in, in Jesus Christ, there is a new creation. So somehow mm-hmm. after his death and resurrection, there's, the new creation is here and everything's good in it. Like, that we are all heirs to Abraham's promise. I think, I, well, I think what, I, go ahead. Go I ahead. think what we forget about Paul is that, like, and I'm, 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 I like Paul. I, I appreciate Paul. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that much, but <laughs> good for you. you know, but the, he's the pretty Paul, good at the pool, and sometimes he brings me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Paul mean you should come to all the parties. <laughs> But his often, you know, his favorite way to argument is this sort of stepladder or stair step argument, where he's building up to something, um, and 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 I think you can argue that this this argument in Galatians is the same kind of thing that you know the ideal is that you know, Jesus probably isn't coming back till we get there, uh, and so if you want to look at, at if if you want to try and answer the tough question of like okay where is the Perusia, where is you know Jesus's triumphant return? What where is this sort of promise of revelation of people of every race and creed and color and language coming together, robed in white? It's because we're not doing the work. Exactly um, that we and, we we get to do that. That's us. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. We have to do it, and it, it, it doesn't just happen because we say it, right? right? Um, I I don't stop being racist because I say I'm not racist anymore. Like I have to live it out. Exactly. Exactly. I think. I think Paul was like the original both sides. Was it both both sides? Both sider, <laughs> which is which is more and more, more and more making me not listen to NPR because I mean, a, a lot of times, uh, you know. Quick segue. A lot of times yeah. <laughs> there are insistence on on interviewing people that talk nonsense. Um, but anyways, uh, I, th- I I it's it's. You you are abs you are absolutely right. Just saying it don't make it so. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think for for Paul, this was this was more of a vision statement. Yeah. But now, what's the mission statement to make the vision happen? Mm-hmm. And and I I think in many ways he either left us hanging or wasn't clear about that, or just figured if if we all if we all bite into his version of the 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 his version or his Christology, it'll all resolve itself. And I want to say, Paul, no. Have you met people? You walked all over the place. Have you met people? And of course his... It's just I not going to work out that way or it's not that simple. Right. And, and here we are now and to your point, Grace, still not resolved. Yeah. No. And, and I'm, I mean, I, I'm rarely a defender of Paul and yet one of the greatest things he did was go and say this message is for everyone this isn't just for a specialized sect of people uh-huh. right and and that is a lot of the reason why he takes such prominence in our theology and in our understanding i i feel so my theory on paul is is that paul just wanted to be liked 
And when he so when he Paul when he wrote in Enneagram nine, is what Paul, you're saying. Paul, yes, man, Paul, what you're thinking. yes, he. Well, he, you know, he no, he rolled in. Was like I had a I had a revelation experience. Uh-huh. I got this figured out, and they were all like, "Who are you again? <laughs> Weren't you the guy who's trying to kill us?" Uh, no. And Paul's like, "Well, screw y'all. I'm gonna preach to the Gentiles, and they're gonna like me." I think Paul had a serious inferiority complex, and he was just trying to make everyone like him. That's that's just my it's just. It's my reading, my interpretation. It could be 100% wrong about okay. that. Mm-hmm. But, but, but all over the place. I don't think there's a but. <laughs> I could be 100% wrong about that. Period. <laughs> exactly. One of my, one of my, so Gray, one of, one of my ongoing things is, uh, so I'm from Barbados, like I said. Mm-hmm. This summer I went down, they had their, their second Pride Parade ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, old homosexuality laws are still on the books in, you know, in Barbados and, and and I I throw out the challenge of show me where show me where Jesus spoke up against homosexuality and I've been you know there've been letters to the editor just rolling in everybody like re- raking me over the coals all that sort of all that sort of stuff but and 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 a lot of them are quoting Paul and mm-hmm. and and his teachings and I almost in vain I'm trying to say guys guys Paul just rolled up and declared you know. <laughs> I had direct revelation, so listen to me. And and I'm like, T- tell me a mega pastor that hasn't said that, yeah. <laughs> right? Because Paul said it doesn't necessarily make it so. You still have to have this, you know, this critical approach to what he's saying. Um, and does it line up with if we're saying Christianity is centered on the life and teachings of Jesus? Does it? support that it doesn't necessarily always one can make a case for it but sometimes it kind of just doesn't uh you, you know so mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a weird thing with 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 paul and as i you know like to say christianity versus polyanity but that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast it's a whole other show and i think you can make an argument that if you want to look at uh um you know the letters to corinthians maybe better letters about reparations because it's paul basically going to a rich, wealthy merchant community who are trying to turn church into like a big party mm-hmm. with lots of food and, you know, lavish drink and everything else and say no. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Just put that out there. <laughs> Those of I us did, that actually get to have drink in I, our churches. I, 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 Unity just did a cruise and, and I led a pub theology discussion and there were drinks and people were like, why don't we have drinks at church all the time? <laughs> Same. <laughs> in Vino Veritas. I, I as long actually, as everyone, as long as everyone can participate, and no one has to be, uh, you know, pay their ticket at the door to get in or something. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. If you want the wine to flow, here's where your money goes. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, ooh, trademark. <laughs> <laughs> TM. <laughs> Copyright. So, last last question, which you know, Gray, it's interesting because this is kind of where your church started in questioning, right? Like, um, so. Martin Luther King famously said, um, it was a Meet the Press interview in 1960. He said, it is appalling that one of the most segregated, that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. How much have things changed if they have at all? Or I guess I'm going to throw out, some people would say, should they? So, so two things. One, location matters. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in New England. <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. When I remember when I was being interviewed. So in, in Unity, churches don't appoint a minister. We, we interview for the position. And I remember my tryout Sunday and I was being interviewed by the congregation. Someone asked me, what plans do you have to increase the diversity of our congregation? And I said two things. One, you hired me, so that's one. Uh, <laughs> two, like, do you guys realize where we live? You you live in one of the whitest corners of America. And if you think that because you hired a black minister, all of a sudden all these minorities who were just waiting for you to hire a minority minister are going to crawl in out, and that's not how it works. So so location is a factor. And two, I firmly, I, I don't believe that congregations need to be segregated, but it gets awkward when you have one group of people clapping on one and three and another group clapping on two and four. It's, it's just, it's just I mean, awkward. listen, you're just uh-huh. clapping the tempo at that point. It's fine. No, no, no. So, That's where you draw the line. 
I do, I will say that, you know, being part of two churches that were open, um, have always said, why don't, right? Why don't more people of various colors and races and, you know, come to our church? And I'm like, because of what you just come to, like, come to us and adapt to us, right? Like, right. they're that's one of the things that they don't like, isn't always, in, but we're so open and loving and accepting. <laughs> right. well, my question is, my question is how many of those people are actually in your personal life? Well, like you're, a, you're, you're exactly. like, what, right. White, what you you want all these minorities to show up at, at this predominantly white church. Right. How many are in your life? How many have you befriended? How many times have you gone to neighborhoods, cities, places? Mm. How many connections have you made? Because the number one way people still get to a church is word of mouth. A friend invites them. Right. Or you invite in. Like this is not on the this is not the responsibility of the marketing team of the church to get anybody in here. It's your responsibility. It's it's on you to make those connections. And the deeper question is, why do you want that? Do you want that to then go and boast about how diverse right. your church is. Do you want bragging rights? Like, what, what's the what's the deeper question here that you're trying to answer? I think a big piece in our conversations that, that I have come to learn since coming to Baltimore, which again is 65, 70% African American, was that, you know, that it, our concerns shouldn't be about numbers. Uh, it would be relatively easy in, in a broad sense to create a church that had more diverse numbers than we have. Uh, but the real challenge is to create an actual community where people feel equally welcome. Uh, you know, you can do a lot of things, to get people to show up to a place, but to feel like they're part of the community and have this equal stake in the community is a different thing. Uh, so a focus for us has been on, you know, really trying to reflect who we desire to be in our leadership. Uh, so changing the leadership of the vestry, which is like our board of directors, changing the leadership on the altar. Um, when I got here, it was all white men who led worship. That's no longer the case. Uh, you know, that, that you, we seek to, you know, identify people um, who reflect who we desire to be and, and empower them so that we can then begin to live into that is and be willing to accept that things are going to change. Uh, Culture may change, styles may change, music may change, the way we talk about the church may change, All, and, and we, have, we have to be okay with that. I think the, 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 the challenge for Episcopalians has always been like, well, we do everything so perfectly, why wouldn't everyone want to be just like us? Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. You think I'm be kidding, perfect that, as Christ Himself was perfect. Yeah. No, no, be perfect as the Book of Common Prayer is perfect. That's hilarious. Have you ever? Have you guys seen that video? Uh, it's like a, a viral video went around maybe a week or so ago, and it's like two kids in a New York City street, and they run up and hug each other. And it's a black kid and a white kid. Yes, yes, yes. Seen it. Yeah. And, and the whole so it's you know two little kids are probably two years old, and they see each other and run up and hug each other, and the sort of the internet goes ablaze about how. This is how it should be, right? right? And this is how wonderful it is. Um, and, and Shannon's laughing because that's like her house normally. <laughs> right. Um, like. Well, or that or they're fighting because they're sister and brother. But, uh, you know. Um, it doesn't and, matter. And it's me, kind of the same response. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, it's really sad that that is still something that evokes emotion in most Americans. Because yeah. we still live segregated lives, we live in segregated worlds, uh, and we self-segregate ourselves in so many different ways uh, that we don't even allow ourselves like the basic act of like, I mean, you know, my daughter goes to a, a Baltimore City school, which means that the majority of the school is African-American, which means the majority of her friends are African-American. Um, it's not something that we don't, we don't do it to be brave or, or uh, you know, courageous or, or we just do it because it's the neighborhood school and we feel like we need to support neighborhood education and be involved in, this, in the city. Um, so, I, but I think, I think it's really challenging and to talk about, you know, how you want your church to look um, because, you know, I, it can become a kind of, you know, an, another, 
another kind of enslavement, another legacy of slavery. Oh, well, we do things really well and nice. And now that we've let you black people come and be part of our thing, you should come and do it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now yeah. that we now to- that we've we've done we exactly we do this yeah. so well you why wouldn't you want and we're so open and accepting why yeah. wouldn't you want to come be we're, a part of this we're, we're post-racial we don't see color so right. like you know and it become more pernicious because often in places where the black church has been the only thing that has held community together right it has been a linchpin in communities it's been a, a source of stability and comfort and home and hope that you know if i'm going and trying to raid their pews to make myself feel better about my Sunday attendance. Yes. I'm I'm doing double damage. Yes. Uh, and that yes. I mean that's the other side of this, right? Is that, you know, some there are people that have argued that we we should, I mean, it, how many how many traditionally African American churches are sitting around going, I wish we had more white people. <laughs> like right, like this is <laughs> Good, good point, Shannon. Right? Like good oh, point. I, really, I really wonder where all the white yeah. people are. You know, like, I, oh. why, why don't they want to come to our church? And they don't care. They're going, mm-hmm. this is a place I get to be me yeah. minus, you know, I don't have to talk they're, white here. I don't have to. They're, they're glad they don't have to teach them to clap on two and four. I can clap on two and four and nobody that's what cares. It, that's what it is. That's what it's we all about. We had a whole parish it? meeting about how to clap them when you sing, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I think we need a tutorial at our church. Like, they, like the drum beat is so loud and they still listen, cannot get on can, it. You can't teach that. You either have it or you don't. Can't teach it. I'm I telling mean, you. <laughs> Our drummer is Filipino and has just the most beautiful spirit ever. And he bangs that bass drum to get them to clap on two and four. And they cannot do it unless I lead them to do it. And it just, anyway. See, they're listening to the, that's the problem. They're listening to the bass, listen to the snare. Clap when the snare claps, not when the bass drum claps. I'm sorry. I'm I'm done. (laughs) So I think something to think seriously about is that like it, it, in the short term, it's okay that Sunday mornings are segregated um, as long as we are seeking to like, like I, I guess my goal is to be as, as in as close relationship as I can with the pastors around me. Um, mm-hmm. And in my reality, that's mostly African-American, you know, tr- traditional Baptist pastors um, that I want, I want our church to be in relationship with their churches. I want our community to be in relationship with their community. And I want to build a place where when, you know, our kids get together, that they see themselves as being part of the same community uh, and that we are building authentic relationships between different communities and between people so that we can eventually create this kind of one sense of community. Uh, that it's, it's less about, you know, how diverse my Sunday attendance is and, and more about how, you know, how the, the whole broader, at least in my case, Baltimore community feels about itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I, again, I'm, I think, like we said, in this beautiful, idyllic new creation, churches would be completely multicultural, right? Like, but churches also, like Ogan said, reflect their community, you know, and yet um, the reasons why our churches were segregated are not necessarily the reasons why they are now. Exactly. Um, yeah. But we, we as the white church need to do that work to understand our history, to, you know, to uncover that history and, and to educate ourselves on that. Um, and the problem with that is, is a lot of stuff may come up, not just reparations, but whole other slew of things that... Well, feelings that pe- church leaders may have done, or what, 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 what may come up is is um, feelings that people have now that they didn't realize they have, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and I mean, I think you know, as we as we close here, right, our final words, kind of for me, are until we face that history in the church, until we bring it to light. I mean, nothing. You know, God's word is very clear. Nothing needs to be hidden in darkness. You know, we we have to bring that to the light. We have to understand that. We have to own our responsibility in it. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. I mean, right. There's there's a church here in Baltimore that, uh, and I won't name names because I don't want to badmouth anybody, but they they kind of advertise themselves as a diverse church with a mixed community. Uh, and I talked to the pastor. Um, 
a little bit and he said, you know, what basically they had to tell all the old black ladies who used to be in the church to leave um, so they could build a new church that was black and white uh, because the, 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 the previous culture wouldn't allow for integration. Um, and in an evangelical mindset, that's fine, right? They, they'll do that all the time. They'll break things up to do what they think is right. Um, at least from a, from a mainstream Protestant perspective, that just doesn't work. Uh, you know, you have to be on, you have to be, you have to honor the community that was there before you and honor the voices that were there before you and, and help to make, help them make the shift. Uh, yeah, I don't think it counts if you just sort of make the people that are in the way, get out of the way. My, my brain just hit a wall when you just said they told I, the I, old black yeah. ladies to leave. I'm just like, I'm just, wait, wh- what? <laughs> like, First of all, the nerve of those people and the fact that they didn't get some sort of pie with danger things baked into it is beyond me. Like, I know I got a lot of questions, but my brain is just like, my brain doesn't know what to do with that yet to start forming the questions. I was like, what? Holy crap. Anywho, all right, we're at the end of the show, so I won't. So any final words as we, as we end (laughs) besides that Ogan's hit a wall and the fact that you made Ogan speechless is like the most amazing. You don't understand, dude. Like, I don't even know what to do with that. I am, I am both shocked, like angry, confused, like all the emotions are happening right now. Just by that one thing you said, I'm just like, holy crap. Whoo. Okay. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to breathe. You take a breath. Take a breath and a sip. And a sip. I'm done with my beer. Unfortunately. (laughs) And my kids just came in the house, so there, there's going to be a lot of noise in the background. That's all right. Ogan, you want to close us out? Well, do, do, do you have any final words, Gray, or was was that your final word? <laughs> Don't ask the old black no. ladies to leave. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Seriously. I think if, if I was going to give a final word, uh, it's that, like, this is, you know, every church has the, the opportunity, every Christian community has the opportunity to engage in a process of reparations and in a process of, of racial reconciliation. And there are, you know, hundreds and thousands of people around you who are watching and waiting for you to do it. Um, there's so many people who just, they distrust the church because they've seen what the church has done with respect to race, with respect to the LGBT community, with respect to immigrants and refugees, that they just, they, they want a church that's going to be honest about what Jesus asked us to do. And as soon as we do it, people will embrace it. Um, and we've got to be—we've got to stop just being so scared of, uh, of of what might happen or who might leave or who might pull their pledge, and, yes. and just be willing to to actually engage in the conversation. I uh, and and I'll add also just from your story, Ogun, that like, and don't ask sort of the the black guy you hire as the associate to do the work, <laughs> right? Well, like, well it, said. It, it worked here and it worked here in Baltimore in part because I was a white guy from Virginia. Um, that it was easier for me to lead the conversation um, than than it might have been for somebody else. I got got nothing to add to that. That was perfect. Also, clap on the two and four. Other than that, um, I think you encapsulated it perfectly. Thank you. I got nothing else. What do you got, Shannon? Well, I'll do your part then. Connect and spread the word on social media. Listen anytime on SoundCloud. That was my part. Google Play (laughs) Music or iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. It says your name right there. Closing oh. <laughs> Scroll down. Scroll down. Watch us on YouTube or IGTV. Find or create your own pub theology in your town. Info at pubtheology.com slash directory. And until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. <laughs>